As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This podcast is powered by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Attention to Detail, the podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Ayers, and on today's episode, I'm going to give you guys three super quick just kind of nuggets of information on how to develop speed as a hooper. It'll be super short, just something that you guys can listen to on like a 10-minute drive or a break in your training or whatever it may be. As hoopers, as coaches as well, whether it's strength and conditioning, skills coach, I think we understand the importance of speed in basketball, but we don't specifically train it enough, if that makes sense. Like if you look at other sports, soccer, American football, speed is something that is a huge focus of any training program. And yes, it makes sense. It's a larger pitch or field, whatever. So you can open up and get into higher speeds, max velocity more often. But we all know that basketball player or you know multiple basketball players who are fast as shit and they kill because speed truly does kill. And I think a lot of time what we do as hoopers is sub-maximal. Like for example, when we're doing ball handling drills, we're probably not going as hard as we can. So we're not pushing our limits to that maximal speed, even if it's in that acceleration. So we're probably not gonna get up to a full speed anyways, but usually we aren't going 100%. And I think through some of these ways, through these three ways at least that I'll give you guys in this episode, we can specifically target that speed in our training and as a result start to develop that more than most of our peers most of you know other coaches or trainers around you if you're a trainer because most people just aren't focusing on it all right so number one the first way that i use to train speed a little bit better and this is a much deeper topic this is something i'll go into a lot more on youtube and and on uh the coaches platform as well because it does take you know, there are a lot of things that go behind speed, foot and ankle strength, just building raw horsepower output, like neural drive. But these are kind of like the, I don't know, the three ways that it comes all together. And you'll see this in the first one again, which is using chases or speed gates to really push athletes to top speed or to top intent. All right. 
So I'll give you guys some examples and then talk about the benefits. Chases are super easy. Uh, you have somebody chasing. So athlete A is chasing athlete B. This could be around the center circle. So they're going super curvilinear. This could be around the three-point line, so a little bit less curvilinear. This could be straight away. And they're just, you know, both of them have a ball. They're going as fast as they can. If you can touch uh, athlete A on the back, you get a point. If you escape athlete B, you get a point, right? There's that old saying, you're going to run the fastest you've ever run when you have a lion chasing you. And yes, it may not be a lion, but as humans, inherently, when we're getting chased, we're going to run pretty damn fast. It's just a natural feeling. It's like a biological thing. When you're getting chased, you have something to run from. Or even on the flip side of that, if you have something to catch, you now have that external stimulus, right? It's just like jumping and trying to touch an object. You're probably going to end up jumping a little bit higher there because you have something to aim for. Whereas when you're being chased, you can measure it by whether you got chased or sorry, whether you got caught or whether you caught the other person. And it's just, again, that feeling of, I don't want to get caught. This is scary as hell. It's why we start laughing in all of these because it's just, it's fun. It's engaging and it really gets us pushing up to high speeds. All right. Second is going to be using speed gates or timers. All right. So this can be either like speed lasers, which obviously not everyone has. I'm blessed enough to have them now and they're huge for me. But uh, you could also just use a stopwatch on your phone. Simple as that. And when we time our sprints, chances are, again, we're going to run faster because we want to beat our own times. We want to beat other athletes times. And we're really pushing to try to get to a new threshold of speed every time. All right. So you compare this with skills uh, as well. Like something I'll do is start on the baseline with, with the players and whether we're using a, a speed gate or a timer, doesn't matter. And I'll say, all right, whoever gets the fastest time into a made shot, made layup wins, right? So now not only are they pushing that speed as fast as they can, but now they have to execute a skill as they're coming out of that race or sprint. So now they're learning how to work in this skill at high speeds. And I have a belief that especially when paired with these skills, um, our brains aren't going to let us get up to a super high speed with the ball, for example, if we know that we can't control the ball at that high speed, right? So we can't, let's say, arbitrary numbers. Our brain knows that we just don't have control of the ball at 20 miles per hour. So we're not going to get up to 20 miles per hour. Now, is, are any of us getting there? No, but whatever, arbitrary number. But if we work our skills at these high speeds, if we learn how to execute skills at high speeds, now we're gonna be able to express this in a game better because our brain knows, all right, I can go at a super high speed and still jump off of one leg effectively and finish this layup and control. Or I can go at my absolute top speed or absolute top intent and still execute a jumper and control. And again, once we get accustomed to doing these, our brain starts to see, all right, you can do this, now I'm gonna actually allow you to express the speed in the game. So whether you pair this with skills or not, right? either way is good, you can just build that raw speed without the ball or without a curve, without basketball specific movement and just time it and reap the benefits of it. Or you can include that sports skill as well. But the point behind these chases and speed gates, timer, whatever, just some way to really force you into top speed is again, to get you to get our players or get you as an athlete out of that sub maximal mindset as a hooper. Like we tell players all the time, 
go game speed, go as fast as you can, go as hard as you can in a workout. And I think there are a couple reasons for this. Number one is because a lot of what we do in basketball is submaximal. Like game speed doesn't necessarily mean 100% speed at all times. You could be changing speeds. You could be slowing down to read the defense, right? So actually getting players to a top speed is going to require us to get into some type of outside intervention, which usually has to involve measuring how fast they run and putting an incentive towards running pretty damn fast, which would be either not getting caught, catching somebody, or running at a faster time. Otherwise, it's tough to get hoopers out of that sub-maximal mindset because this is what they're used to. And this is just how hoopers are wired, right? They're not football players who are just going to run American football, who are just going to run as fast as they can because you tell them to. Hooping in general, basketball is a little bit more of a fluid sport where you're changing speeds. You don't need to go full speed the whole time, although it is a benefit to be able to run at a pretty damn high speed. Second here is contrast work. So I like doing this a lot because I have the, the freedom of having a weight room right next to the court. So we'll go with something that's a really high neural drive exercise. So this could just be like a high pull, a trap bar jump, um, single leg variation, like an, an overcoming ISO if we're, if we're really advanced in terms of the athlete that I'm working with. And then stepping right onto the court and putting this into a little bit more of a, of a basketball context or a sporting environment. Right, so now we're getting the benefit of just standard contracts, contrast work, that is, um, where we're going like, you know, a power-based movement just to get that neural drive going, priming it up, getting that excitement going, and then stepping over to the actual movement itself and expressing it. But now we can do it in a more basketball-specific way. Not that we always do that or that we always need to do that, but I really do like contrast work for, again, getting hoopers to uh, work at, at super high intense. Right, I'm saying jump as high as you can on this trap bar jump. Uh, really push how fast your hips are extending on this high pull, whatever it may be. If we're going acceleration or top end speed, it's going to vary. Um, but then stepping over and being able to actually execute the skill of sprinting. I love this, and this is something I've seen great results with in my players. And then lastly is going to be diversifying the context of our speed. So what I mean by this is preferably playing other sports but just putting them into other environments or activities where speed is going to look a little bit different, right? So in basketball, most of what we do, again, is acceleration. It's kind of in, this, in similar angles every time. It's in curves. I enjoy getting my athletes outside of this uh, singular track that we always train or express our speed in and getting them out onto a field sometimes and having them play field sports play some soccer, just open up into a full sprint and see what happens. Now, of course, we have to be somewhat cautious with this because hamstring injuries are not accustomed to moving at super high speeds, but I personally haven't had an issue with that. I don't think players' brains will really let them get to top speed um, out on a field just because they know that they're not ready for that yet. I could be wrong, though, but again, I haven't had any problems with this yet. But, but the, my reasoning for putting players outside of the basketball environment is not only to reduce over overuse injuries um, and kind of these chronic pains that basketball players see all the time just through expressing the same movements and working the same movement patterns over and over again, but also for what I would call a differential learning effect. So differential learning in short is 
exposing athletes to the entire spectrum of a movement pattern. So on a shot, it would be maybe shooting from as low as you can, set point wise, as high as you can, and then allowing them to kind of find the middle ground um, and just build a more robust movement pattern in general. In sprinting, they get this because now they are doing it at different angles, at different on different surfaces, in different contexts, and they're just building an overall better movement pattern for sprinting in general. They also just get to open up into top velocity now, which again is one of, and I talk about this all the time, sprinting just in general is one of the best exercises we can get. And hoopers like to compete. If you put them in another sport, they're going to compete. They're going to be going you know, decently hard in terms of their sprinting. So they're getting a fantastic plyometric stimulus just by sprinting and just by playing another field sport. And then lastly is getting them out of that standard basketball environment that they're in all day long. Again, not only to reduce overuse injuries, but also for engagement purposes. I think a lot of the reason, and this is going back to that submaximal mindset, I think a lot of the reason why hoopers don't go hard a lot of time when we tell them to is that they're just tired of the training and the monotonous. We're just playing the same sport over and over again. And I understand how much players love basketball. I was the same way. But at some point, if you're in the gym all day long, you're doing the same training over and over again, anything is just going to get monotonous, right? We become accustomed to that. And as a result, we typically don't go as hard. We don't devote everything to it because it's just another kind of mundane task. Whereas if I take athletes out of the gym, put them out into the sun on the field with a different type of ball, different tasks, they're probably going to be wanting to go a little bit harder because it's just a novel stimulus, something new. And athletes love to compete. Again, if we put them in a competitive setting here, it makes it even better. But overall, I've just noticed how much more players enjoy workouts outside of the basketball court sometimes to keep it fresh, to keep them engaged, and to get them outside of that same mindset that they're always in being in the gym and doing kind of the same work. So hopefully those three tips uh, are things that you can take and, and apply right away in a very practical sense. I want you guys to run with these so you can be so creative with all three of them. The chases, the speed gates, there are so many ways that you can do that, just timing. The contrast work, again, so many ways that you can express this in terms of your training. And then diversifying the, the speed. You can do this on the court with just different tasks. You can do this by getting them off the court into a different environment, different competitions. I want you guys to come up with things that will teach me and blow my mind because that's where I'm truly learning is just coming up with concepts or techniques or discovering things and then having you guys or others just express them and come up with new creative ways to do it because there are so many ways that we can train athletes and not one way is optimal. And I think you guys have the potential to come up with things that are way more creative, way more effective even than anything I'll do. And I want to learn from you guys um, as you continue to expand on these things. So a little bit over the 10 minute line that I set for myself. But again, hopefully you guys got something out of this episode. Make sure to tap in with me. Let me know what you think. Share any suggestions for, for future episodes. As always, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.